Hello, and welcome to Educational Triage, where we discuss issues in alternative education. This is a discussion about teaching by teachers, for teachers, and others who are interested in the alternative education world. We hope you find today's episode relevant, engaging, and useful. And if you do, please subscribe. I'm Tony Hunt, and I'm here to help guide you with the help of my friends, Christy and Philip. And welcome back to another lively episode of Educational Triage. And I am here with the fabulous Christy Goodell. Hello. And Philip Summers. Aloha. <laughs> How are you both today? Fantastic. It just snowed here, so we're doing just nifty. Had a baseball game. You have snow? Oh, I had snow. Yeah, I had snow. What Today? No, Monday. No, it was this yes. week ago. Yeah. Yeah, it was oh, spring, yeah. but yeah. we had snow. Well, I was a baseball. I was coaching some kids, but we had a game canceled. We had a snow out. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah. Well, we had snow, and then Saturday, Saturday afternoon, we also had snow falling. <laughs> huge, huge. They, I, you know, I was talking to somebody and I said, did you see the snow? And he said, oh my gosh. He said, that really came down, those huge flakes. And yeah. I said, I just thought of them, they looked like little meteors coming <laughs> flying down. Yeah. And it's like, they're not sticking. And yes, they were. Yep. And then they were gone after 10 minutes. It was a freak Green snowstorm. Weather so. It was crazy to have it. It was a weird week. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, talking about weird... Did you know that reading scores, last week we did something on math scores and the decline. Mm -hmm. and now the reading scores are also declining, and this was noticed pre-COVID. And so let's dive into that. How does that sound? Yep. Sounds groovy. Good to talk about, but the stats are not that great. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's... Here's something. I mean, Christy, maybe you know this. When how long have the has the state and all the other testing? How long has that been computerized? This like the smarter balance and all yeah, that. all that. How long have we been doing that stuff? Gosh, has that been at least ten years? That that sounds oh, right because yeah, it was introduced after I had started. Okay. Yeah, so ten, 10 sounds about right. Okay. Because one of the reasons I think that maybe we're starting to have problems with reading and the reading scores is all this work is done on the computers. And like mm -hmm. we talked about with the math scores, um, it's, an, it's a yes, no kind of option for the students in a way where they have to pick the right answer. And um, sometimes those answers are just a little bit too close. And there's no freedom of expression on those tests, maybe. Do you think that that could possibly have some kind of... Well, I think there's been more expressions. There's been more <laughs> form of expressions in the last 10 years. If you look at it, screens have done more than just given us the internet. It's given us a form of communication. So it's given us a context by which to give communication. It's given us a, a form of reading. 
um, not just texting, you know, R and U for R U, but right. um, a way of sort of digesting your information. Um, I was guest teaching and a lot of the classrooms, like kids will be working on something, um, teachers will leave things on Google Classroom and there'll be something on Google Classroom and they'll have something on their phone screen too. And it's usually like a, uh, it's, 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 it's interactive or something like that. Like sometimes they'll play a game while they're working on something. It's very strange to see, but it's almost so like multitasking. And so I guess what I'm saying is it's context and it's, it's um, the literacy that they're developing is different than the one they're, that they're being tested on. And so they're expressing themselves in different forms. And it may be to me, it seems that when they're interacting with a computer, that this is just one form of interaction. It may not be the best form of interaction when it comes to that. If you're testing writing, of course, yeah, it's a very narrowed down field, but there are other expressions too. Right. But usually with reading, there's, there are details or concepts that need to be taken from that material yeah. for the answers. And sometimes, sometimes it's more implied than um, straight out, where did John go? And the sentence was, John went to the store. It could be John walked down the street because he was going to buy something. So where was John going? Yeah. Was he going to the store? Was he going to the baseball field? Where was he going? Right. So I guess I was confusing. Implication there. What I'm saying is they're interacting with the screen and/or screens in different ways than they were actually imagined that could be. It's right. To but, say. What does, but but so then you're talking about distractions. So not if I'm necessarily looking on one screen, I'm being distracted with them. What would you call it then? If you're supposed to be taking a test, true, and you're using another screen. Well, first of all, that That's invalidates true. the test. That's true. So do they know the test behavior? That's one. Um, mm -hmm. So are they, especially with the pandemic, with, there's a lot of leniency with the test behavior. And so since the behavior came, or since the, they came back from the uh, pandemic, I noticed they had doing a dual screen kind of thing. That shows me a different kind of interaction with the reading and the context of what they're reading the and what they're getting like, off the screens. And explain, so explain the dual screen that you're talking about. Right. Okay. Right. I don't think, yeah, this is interesting. I know you talked about yeah. something earlier, but I wasn't sure what you were okay. actually talking about. So picture this describing something completely different. Um, a visual person here. We've got a laptop in front of you, the Chromebook, the Chromebook in front of you. And then a yep. phone right. is propped up. On, on a field of the Chromebook that doesn't like obscure something that the Chromebook needs to be seen right. or it's off to the side. And it has like okay. sometimes a movie or a TV show playing. And so right. they're interacting with that and watching this TV show and also interacting with the content. And I've seen kids interact with the content really well while watching the TV show or the movie, or sometimes they're playing Uno while they're working on their work. So they're cooperating on their work and playing Uno at the same time on their phones with each other. But I think the data has already shown us that multitasking is highly inefficient and it doesn't Correct. work as well. 
But if you ask because your brain can't function on several levels all at once. I guess that that's true. I see that as a post-pandemic behavior. Pre-pandemic behaviors were a lot more subtle, but kids are developing a relationship with the screen and the how they get the information from the screen in ways I think that we don't quite understand. And so it may be that they don't quite understand how to read what we're giving them and get the information from it in certain ways. Well, Just I think the mode by which it's given to them. I would I would say that the distractibility for students has been in play for a while where they mm-hmm. would especially yeah. with the phone being, you know, like you know, if we're doing pre-COVID and post-COVID, right? I mean, I was battling, you know, they were, that's when we were still kind of just slowly embracing the Chromebooks and stuff, but everything wasn't just all this virtual and everything online, but the phones were still like, we still had kids distracted, right? And they weren't engaged in the learning. Now it's, I think the same behaviors, it's just the tools are a little different, but they're still struggling to stay focused and engaged in a task and like for this topic today for reading right? And to go beyond the surface questions, right? Those really deep level questions um, that require a a sustained level of engagement for quite a period of time. And I think the kids are struggling with that because they are so impulsive. I'm going to check my phone, check my phone, check my phone. I'm playing a game. I'm playing a game. I'm playing a game. I'm now playing, you know, they have, you know, even if you go on the computer and you're supposed to do one thing, they've got 27 tabs open, Right. And I've got this game going and I'm going to text on this app and I'm doing this thing. And then Mm -hmm. over here is my assignment Mm -hmm. where I'm supposed to be reading for history or whichever course. So is is the environment itself being tested? I think the environment and just having all their access being through screens when that isn't available, I think right now more than ever, they are struggling. And even like you even shared a text, a text, a some data, Tony, that talked about like the more time you're in front of a screen, like your cortex is actually, that one was the one that was really engaging. Your cortex is thinning, right? Mm-hmm. The membrane. The reasoning and the critical thinking. Um, mm-hmm. Well, the, the more, if you're on the screen for more than two hours, mm-hmm. you, your brain kind of starts going into a depressive mode. Right. And it's very difficult. And there's also the thinning of that membrane. And um, what's interesting is that since COVID came up, more students became more used to spending far more time staring at screens. It was normalized more so. Yeah. Oh, incredibly so, because Mm -hmm. how are they supposed to get their instruction? How are they supposed to get their school? Mm -hmm. And you had a lot of students who rebelled against that. And so what they did instead of going to school was they played their video games and right. And they were still in front of the um, computer. And now I'm finding candy crush saga or whatever that game is called. Yeah. It has made a, it, it's made a comeback. And candy the kids crush are doing it. And candy crush is back. Those and Tetris. so is Tetris. And- <laughs> oh my God. And then there's this other game that's, it looks do you remember like dig dug where he, he was going through yes, dirt and then yes. like would make tunnels and things would drop down dig it's, dug, that yes. version is back it's now like um yeah they're pushing cookies and stuff i'm like i'm so tired what's of these old things. is gold is that yeah, what it is old is gold um so <laughs> old is gold is 
Uh, oh yeah, but so but this old. happened prior, and what they found was that more students are loving reading as they get older, and the engagement. More thirteen-year-olds were commenting that were stating that they were reading more for pleasure, and so this developed through mm-hmm. the years because yeah. in the in the early years, the teachers pushed for reading, and. Yeah. They really want to engage the students with reading, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But we also have, let me, let's, let's tinker back a little bit because um, I know that my niece, when her son was born and when he became, when he was about two or three years old, she would hand him her Kindle and he could do games on that Kindle, uh-huh. right? Yeah, yeah. And so there were learning games that he could do on those. When I, when I was a kid, and I don't know about you two, but we had Fisher Price stuff, and yeah. I learned I learned letters on sandpaper because I would cut out the letters, and those were what I used. And because it didn't cost much, but mm-hmm. you know, we had Tinker Toys and Lincoln Logs, and we had all kinds of stuff. But um, we are becoming more of a digitized society. And so I'm just wondering yeah, if, yeah, yeah, yeah. More, if more kids are starting to do their reading for yeah. pleasure on their phones and on their tablets rather than using the printed text. Yeah, there's you an know, analogy. The hard page. Yeah. I have, a, I have a, 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 I was talking to my brother about this lesson on Moby Dick and and I was kind of ranting and raving about Moby Dick. It's just so laborious and long. And geez, I mean, does a guy have to describe everything about everything? And it's like, yes, because <laughs> back in the day, it just kind of all of a sudden hit me. They didn't have anything like a photograph. No one had seen a tropical island. So for five chapters of describing a tropical island, that was like fantastic give me more Herman Melville. You're the best writer mm-hmm. I've ever read. But for us, it's like, yeah, I've, I can go to the TV. Nate, Nat Geo just gives me that right now. Heck I could be on a plane and be right. there in eight hours. So yeah, mm-hmm. we're in a very fast paced world. We don't need Herman Melville to take us there anymore. No, um, it, it tends to be geared more towards an Ernest Hemingway with minimalism and, Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Get to the good Get to part. Off of those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but what they also discovered was that reading off of screens does it, it overstimulates the prefrontal cortex where a lot of the decoding goes on in the brain. And so the kids are sitting there and they're doing most of their reading on their phones, on their tablets, and this this really does a weird thing with them. And so they're, it's not just their comprehension, but the retention goes down. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And, and so I'm just wondering if that's what we're taking it from. That's why I asked about whether or not the testing on the computers, because could that possibly play a role in reading scores going down? Because if all the testing is done on the computers then is that kind well, of like a duh? It's certainly not a, it's not a, a static mode of testing. It's very dynamic because there's one piece of it that's very dynamic, the kid. You know, 
the mm-hmm. computer can sit there and have that test on it. But the interactive kid there is, like I said, I've seen that behavior post pandemic, the dual screen thing. I saw it when I was teaching on the screen. I caught it when they were looking at another screen and I weren't looking, they weren't looking at the screen that was actually holding the camera. I could tell that. And then when I got back and right. started going classroom to classroom, kids were going on the dual screen, doing their work, but playing like card games, like I said, with each other on screens. So they've developed that. So all that's going on while they're still administering these tests in the same way they did before, the static way. But dynamically, everything's going the dual on around screen, it. So it's sort of, a, it's, right? it's a very interesting system. Yeah, there's a lot to it. I think that, I mean, I think kind of a yes and no, like the dual screen, I think, plays into the um, lack of engage of consistent engagement, right? Because I'm so used to, I'm going to switch, switch, switch between my screens. So it's just promoting um, a lack of attention span, right? It just is that <laughs> impulsivity. I'm only going to look at my screen for five seconds. So I'm going to go to the other one and go to the other one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that is a definite behavior. But if you're going into those formalized assessments, you're not allowed any of those other screens right you can't have your phone and they have those um apps where they can lock it where you can only be on the test site like you can't you can't embrace that behavior because it's kind of taken away from you but i think um do you think part of it is suffering from nomophobia like not having the phone and so therefore i don't know what to do if i have Mm -hmm. to stare at one thing Mm -hmm. the whole time Mm -hmm. i think that plays a part in that um we're so used to having downtime be filled with videos that I don't or activities where I don't have to read. Like I can engage in all these social medias where I'm just watching other people like TikTok or Snapchat or even, I mean, Facebook, you're kind of reading and Instagram, but you're mostly just looking at stuff. You're not having to do, I'm not sitting in a doctor's office and reading a magazine, right? I am just scrolling through pictures, picture, picture, picture. And so you're just processing and you're not cogitating. Right. You're not doing any of that critical (laughs) thinking or that deep comprehension um, or having a long article where you're continuing to have some of those long trains of thought. Right. I'm going to watch a 10 to 30 second video and then I go to the next one. Right. You can't get a whole lot of depth to it. But I think also that free time we used to have in um, our classes, the lack of instruction. Right. You used to have like silent sustained reading or you had um, in elementary school, you would have, you know, that quiet time where you could go in the book corner and now the kids are able to engage in electronics. And so I feel like that lack of instruction has come to fruition, which was happening even before COVID. Right. Well, yeah, no, I, I agree. Is a part yeah, of the trend. I, agree. Yeah. I, I was speaking to a teacher today and she's teaching um, the Odyssey. Oh. And I said, Oh, I said, so, and she said, my reading scores had better not be going down. She said, they have it on audio. I have it on digital. I have it as anime. I have graphic novels. I have it. And she just went on. She showed, I have big print. I have everything possible right. for the students so that they can read it and learn it. And she said, but still, 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 still. So, she was working very, very hard, and then we that led into UDL, 
mm-hmm. and Universal Design for Learning, which she hadn't heard of. And we just kind of chatted about that for a minute. But um, yeah, it, yeah. it's interesting because students who are so used to reading on a digital device, let's just call them that. I was going to try to find out whether or not the refresh rate was something that does the signaling to the prefrontal cortex and the blue light and everything else that might get it going. Well, you know the how strobe lights, yeah, the refresh rate of the screen. Oh, got it, got it. Okay, right. Because you know how strobe lights can, and certain kind of lights can affect um, epilepsy. Mm-hmm. Yes. And mm-hmm. seizures in people. Well, mm-hmm. I was just wondering if maybe that might be doing something not quite as dramatic, but something that might be on par with um I mean like with eye strain and right like you've got your glass people have well, glasses to filter out the blue light and not necessarily that but it it oh. had some kind of effect on not the eyes but on the prefrontal cortex got it okay. yeah the perception because if it's if it's brain, yeah. yeah because if everything is jumbling it around because there's so much stimulus that's going on that it can't really do that and so the question then becomes, is that the problem? Or let me ask you this, is it that when we read digitally, mm-hmm. we are looking for specific information? Because when we Google something and we Google an article, how do we read that article? We scan it for the information and the bits that we need. Do we actually spend time reading the entire article, right? or are we getting just what we need out of it? Right. Because, Philip, you're looking at me. No. I'm I'm having (laughs) a thought. I'm having a thought. Here we go. Okay, so I'm thinking along the lines of... (laughs) Hold on to your hats. When you when you interact with something digital, CDs, for example, they, they, they cut things into bit rates. And so right. the closer the bit rate, the smoother the sound, but your brain hears it. And some people's brains really hear that bit rate. And so that's what an LP is, you know, so for all you audiophiles out there, you know, that's what an LP is, mm-hmm. you know, it spins at a rate and that's a wave and that's a sound wave. And so your brain likes that. A lot of people hear that sound wave off a record album and they like that sound mm-hmm. much better than they like the bit rates. They can, the bit rates, they can kind of, they, they're a little uneasy with. Some people don't hear it at all. They hear a clean, crisp sound. So is a digital presentation different somehow than a book? And by that, I mean... Well, you have the blue light. Yeah, but I mean, I'm not saying is there a, a, a drastic difference between reading it on a screen, but I know that when you're testing, like I said before, when you're tested, here, read this, get the information out of it. Is the presentation, you know, the screen, no other screen, just the screen and only the screen, you know, um, and get the information testing mode, uh, the way to to get to it. Or are there other modes that have developed that we're not aware of that are better if that would reveal a better understanding of reading and how it's understood? I don't know, but it seems to me when they compared. Pardon me. Go ahead. Finish. No, it just seems to me that I'm. It just seems to me that with the way the computer is changing our lives, we're not 
it, it's done it so quickly. I don't think we're really aware of it yet, but it does seem to me like maybe the way CDs kind of are different than those sound waves. Maybe the digital information is different than just the page. Like you said, I, I know a student, the student was carrying around some pretty heavy books. He was reading Tolstoy mm-hmm. for pleasure. And I'm going, really? Are you sure it's fun? He goes, no, I really enjoy this. And I, I mentioned David James Duncan to him, who wrote some mm-hmm. books about the Washougal Camas area where we lived and stuff. And yeah, really big Was stuff. Was he about Ship of Fools? Uh, who? David, David James Duncan wrote The Brothers K and um, The oh, River Oh, yes, Rye. yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. The, it, the Brothers K, that takes place up by where you live. It does, exactly. I said, you should read this book. It's about a yeah. 600. It's about baseball. <laughs> yeah. What? And many okay. other things. And then parallel to Brothers Karamazov, but not near as big, but pretty big and pretty large novels. And he's reading these novels for pleasure. Wait. And he was digesting huge texts and he's loving it. And I'm thinking, wow, there's just whatever reading tests they're going to give you, just show them the, what you've been reading and go, oh, never mind, you're fine. <laughs> because he reads for pleasure, but he reads the written word off the page for pleasure. And he had three right. really big novels, um, really enjoying them. So, huh. Well, <laughs> I'll buy, I'll buy, I'll buy books on my Kindle simply because one, it, I get them right then and there. Right. Two, I I amassed, I have so many books. Mm-hmm. I have so many books that once a year I have to clear them out. And I do that. I just have to because I have more books than I have space for. So, and it's easier for me to keep them in a digitized form. Mm-hmm. I would and say Kindle's I'm getting better at taking though. notes. Do you have one of those paper whites? What's that? Do you have a paper white? No. Uh, no, I have a Kindle. I, oh. I have, they went out I of the way to become very... like books almost. You know, they don't do much else, do they? I mean. Well, yeah, you can play games and stuff like that on them. But, um, and you can watch movies. But um, um, no, I have a very generous family member who works for Amazon. So. Oh, that's um, I get these things. You get the. So the question is like, is reading on a mobile device. The coonest. (laughs) Better or worse than reading it off of the, the paper page. Right. Can I tell you what the, what, what the studies have shown? Sure. Okay. The studies showed that people who read off the written page compared to people who read off digital formats Uh, were able to score better. They had better comprehension. They had better retention. And over a long period of time. But the reversion of the people from digital to paper, they actually, it was able to, the brain was able to remediate itself and bring itself back. So um, the brain, that then we get into brain plasticity. Right. As far as that goes. So it's not... If you do it for long, extended periods of time, there's still hope for you. There's still hope. Um, All is not lost. <laughs> which is why if you. I start, well, <laughs> because many times if I start reading an article and I look and it says that it's going to be 64 pages or something, I I have to print it out. And that way I have it and I can keep it and I can do marginalia and I can take notes. It. Right. Because um, I can't do that online. 
there's just a limit to how much I can actually do there. Even though on my Kindle, I will go through and I will score things and I will, you know, mm -hmm. take notes. But the truth is, is that my reading retention isn't that great. And then I'll go back and I'll say, well, what is this in reference to? And I'll have to redo the whole thing. And I, it's maybe I'm, maybe I'm coming down to a part um, where, and I don't take, I'm not saying this in lightness, but part of it is it's almost like a mild form of dementia because it's brand new to me and that I haven't read it before. Mm -hmm, and yeah. so, you know, just these things that happen and I do have dementia in my family. Well, here's my but, system that I throw out is just what I do is that I listen to books. I don't read them. I listen yeah. to them first and then I, I, I can organize them in my brain. Then I buy the book. I have the book yeah, and then I pick it apart and I have the text, mm -hmm. but it's already organized in my brain because I've listened to it. And I usually, I used to do a lot of running. So I would run and listen to the book, usually a couple of times. Yeah. yeah and then yeah, I could organize I it that. with that. And then I could, you could teach it. I could, I could advance from it. I could do a lot of things from that book. And I, it was usually nonfiction. If it was fiction, it, I, I didn't, I didn't read fiction much. I just, because I was sort of like a learner and an academic, I just, you know, what could I take to the classroom? Unless it was, you know, like, um, you know, fiction I could teach with and things, then I would read fiction, you know, but yeah, otherwise, yeah. Well, I listened to a lot of teen books so that I could re recommend them to my students. Oh. Yeah, I did some you know, things like, like that. that. Yeah. Right, right. But then I also like listening to Dan Joan books. Because Dan Jones does a lot of um, he he does a lot of English history, and he does things on the Templars. He does things on the Tudors, the Plantagenets. I mean, it's he's fantastic, and he's got some videos and everything. Yeah, when it comes to that stuff, but I just anyway, do but, yeah. but so it comes down to another interesting thing, and because you brought up a point earlier. And it made me think, are students, are they going to evolve and are they going to adapt to where this becomes de rigueur or the norm for mm -hmm. students to have to read things and their brains are going to be able to somehow or other adapt and change in order to accommodate digital reading? Well, I guess the question is, is it digital reading off of the computer or is it digital reading where they're reading in little teeny short bursts off of their devices or both? It's, right? it, it's actually the same effect. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. actually the same effect. It doesn't matter if it's Chromebook, laptop, cell phone, tablet, whatever. So we're just, we're talking purely about a student's going to sit down and read a novel. Does it make a difference if I'm reading it off of my Kindle versus having an audio, an audible book versus I have a hard copy, right? That's well, kind of like, that's our comparison data. That's our baseline. Well, if you have the real book, yeah, that, I, I think that's pretty much it. Yeah. Um, if you, let's say that I have, oh... I don't know. I have a copy of War and Peace in my hand, and then I can pull up my Kindle. And I can say I've got War and Peace here, right. or I can pull it up with the Kindle app here on my laptop, mm -hmm. and I can say here it is right here. Right. 
or I can I mean, play it and I can listen to it when I'm walking. And I can listen dog. to it while I'm walking. And then I also have whisper sync and I'm not doing that as a, um, as a product add on or referral, but, um, whisper sync where I can listen to it and I can follow along as I read. Right. Um, yeah, because whisper sync to me puts me to sleep. And I can't do that because it's usually <laughs> in the evenings when I do it. I know that there, something strikes me very hard because when I think I'm think, I mean, when I read, I think when I'm listening to say a podcast or I'm listening to a book, I start thinking and I start getting ideas and I don't know what I've missed. So for instance, this evening I'm listening to uh, the flourishing education podcast. She just released a new one. And it's really interesting because she has this, uh woman on and she wrote a book and i was listening to her and she talked about education falling into three different buckets and i had to listen to it three different times in right. order to, in order for me to actually glom on to what it was i do <laughs> find myself doing that too tony where if i'm listening to you know a, i tend to just listen to books like podcasts i'll listen to in my car because i can kind of hear it but don't have to be so like focused but like listening to books is when i'm mm -hmm. i'm out walking i don't know why I, I can just focus on that but there are times where i'm like wait what were they just saying and i have to skip back mm -hmm. whereas if i'm reading the book i don't tend to be like what did they just what did i just read i tend to do that more with the auditory so maybe there's Shouldn't that you be testing your ability to comprehend blogs and podcasts and things like that then because well, it well, seems to me you're making the case that we get information not just from reading, but from et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know what I mean? Right. But, 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 but what sticks? Yeah, what but, sticks in my head, right? If I'm yeah. listening to it, it won't stick in my head as opposed to if I physically am right. reading it. I have better retention. But again, those are right. learning preferences, right? But we but all, but we're getting our information everywhere. Eventually we get from, I get, I go back to mm -hmm. reading too, but yeah, I mean, we're getting it everywhere. There's so many places we're getting our information, podcasts, uh, um, yeah. coming back to reading, writing. But we had um, that. It's a very basic form, love of, not just reading only. I would, I would counter that even though, you know, the three of us have embraced many different forms of reading, we already had established reading habits from when we were in school before all this stuff, oh, which I, I think is I have, a big a part of it where I'm a horrible reader. You had a podcast when you were 10. No, I'm just kidding. I used to speak into the bucket. The colander worked yeah. well. It looked like a mic. I love yeah. that thing. No, I, I'm a horrible reader. Um, it's kind of a joke. I'm, I'm like the worst reader who teaches English. It's like, it's kind of a joke, but it's not. And and when you say worst reader, like you don't enjoy reading, really or me. pardon me, I'm sorry, what? So when you say you're the worst reader, is it that reading is hard for you, or you don't like to do oh, it? Okay, let me no or say yeah. It just takes you a while. It takes me. Okay, first off, I I have attention deficit, so reading I would like read right. and then go, oh shoot, what did I just read and go back. Right. Um, it's really difficult for me to know when to sit and read. Um, I. I was raised in school. Okay. It's reading time. And if you told me it's reading time, I, at any time under the age of 28, I would go, what? <laughs> I can't sit still. Still can't really. But right. At that time I couldn't. So I, there was no reading time for me really. So I never really caught on to reading. 
Um, what I did catch on to though, was, you know, really wanting to learn. So reading became, you know, a thing I had to do. However, once audiobooks came out, and like I said, I read, I listen to the audiobook, organize it in my brain. Yeah. Then I go back to the book itself, and then it's easy. It's laid out for me. But if I have to wander into the forest of words a book presents to me, I can't do it. I read word for word, and it takes me forever to read a book. It takes me, I can, I can digest ideas instantaneously. I can format them and and then put them back on paper. I can organize them, move them around. I can't read very fast. So I'm limited by the pace by which I read. And that drives me out of my mind. So I'm very grateful right. for the 21st century. Yeah, it's freed That's me a hard combo. from my disability to read very yeah. slowly, of, of reading very slowly. But see, whatever my, reason. see yeah. I, have, I have the problem where it's hard for me. Yeah. Okay, 10 years ago. I could kick back in my chair, 10, 12 years ago, I could kick back in my chair, open up a book, and I could be lost for hours. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been this way for years, even when I was a kid. I mean, I would, I, I was in constant motion, but give me a book that I could get into, I'm gone. Right. I am mm-hmm. gone. It's worse than putting me in front of the television because... That to me was another world and I got into it and I just loved reading. I just couldn't get enough. And then came the smartphone dun, dun, dun. and then came the Kindle and there went my ability. I mean, it's really, it's much more difficult for my brain to slow down and to start reading. And I still love to read. It's just that I get pinged so much because all this stimulation is coming at me right. from so many different directions that for me, so, okay. So I have a book of Rabelais that my brother gave me. I'm going to hate to say this probably about 40 years ago. And that sounds like a lifetime, doesn't it? Um, for and I love the book. <laughs> Oh, I love the book. The book is wonderful. It really is. Um, And so I sit down and I started rereading it and I just couldn't do it because there were just too many other things. My phone started making noises. So I had to actually turn my phone off in order for me to do it. Right. But there are just too many other little beeps and boops that we have in our house that, you know, I mean, your dishwasher makes sounds. Oh, yeah. Your oven makes sounds. Your Alexa makes sounds. Right. But but here's the thing. What they discovered, and this yeah, is, I know I'm making another great leap, and I'm just kind of doing, so excuse me, but this is a hairpin turn gone on steroids. As you read, what they discovered was that people who read digitally do not sigh as much in their reading as people with text. Don't sigh like, <sighs> sigh. It's it's like a deep breath. And what that means is, and this is kind of interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And lo, lo and behold, I found the article and I just cannot find it. I need to figure out which of my accounts I was looking at it so I can um, locate it again. But, and I'll put it in the show notes once I do. Mm-hmm. Sighing, the number of sighs and the length of time between sighs while a person is reading 
shows the amount of cogitation that they're actually going through, yeah, how much like they're actually retaining it. You sigh. Yeah. Right. Interesting. Right. And so it's just a deep breath as you go. <sighs> it happens far more frequently and deeply, deeply, deeper. Deeply. <laughs> <Deeply. laughs> I like that. It's a new word. Say enough, it's going to happen. Yeah. Deeply. <laughs> with, with, <laughs> with the printed page than it does with digital. And yeah. digital, it's far, it's, it's, it's very, very infrequent and much softer. That makes total sense. So there is something about your body and your brain working together in order right. to ingest the information. So here's the question then. What is then the best way for... Okay, so Philip, I'm going to give you a book to read and I want you to do it audio, audioly. Okay. Are you going to be able to pass a test after listening to it the first time? Or do you need to go back through and study and, and kind of study it and go through chapters and kind of make notes as you go through? Can you do metal notes as you go through? That's an excellent question. Yeah. Yes. Good. That's an excellent question because I guarantee you if I was going to just read it, I would go through it once only. Period. For me, it was so difficult to read. I could only afford in my life, time-wise, to go through a book once. It was really hard to read for me. And if a book really caught me, I loved it. I gave it the time. But if I didn't love it, it didn't happen. And so I'd skim it and see what I could get from it. That was the kind of thing it was. So, yeah, yeah, that would be good. Yeah. Huh. Um. I know that I was forced to read Wuthering Heights. I think it was my sophomore year, Mrs. Vegers. And I didn't read it. I thought it was, I just didn't want to read it. There was just something about it that I just couldn't get off on. So I decided I was going to read it as an adult. What did I miss? And I started, and so I got the audible. I could not make it very far in that. <laughs> yeah. I tried watching the movie. I could not get very far. Yeah. Something about that book. It just, there is just nothing to it for me. Right. And then there's other books and don't ask me which ones, but I start listening to them and oh my gosh, that, it takes me away. And I watch exactly. the movie and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is wonderful. But that one, I just, and I talked to somebody and they said, oh my God, it's just wonderful. It's so dark. And I said, oh my God, it's just about somebody who died, isn't it? Said, oh, <laughs> stop saying that. Spoiler. I, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm still, I'm still so, so mad at, at Daphne du Maurier for the novel Rebecca, because you have to go through three <laughs> quarters of that sucker and then it's like so totally worth it. But dang, it's like three quarters of lead up. It's like, get on with it. And then it explodes in this fantastic tale right. in the fiery end. But, oh, man, does it take a long time to get there? 
Well, that's a little bit like Marquez. It takes 150 pages in Love in the Time of Cholera to actually understand <laughs> where he's going with it. And and then by the time that you finish the book, you do do this huge sigh. And um, it's so bittersweet to finish that because it's such a beautiful ending. It was the most beautiful book I have ever read. Yeah, there's some and books that are worth reading. Do not watch the movie. So. <laughs> yeah, and Isabella Allende, I love her. And, you know, oh boy, there's just so much to read. Um, so... The question then is, what do we do with our students? How do we do this? I mean, is it cheaper to have digital books? Is it is that why we're doing it? Or I think it promotes more access for those who can, but I think it still comes down to we need more instruction. We need more time to lay the foundation in their early years, and we need to be able to continue it. I think that's a big part of it. Right. Like we by the time we get them in high school and all ed, right, they're they're reading their reading skills have been developed, right? They've had at least nine years, if not they've had opportunities, if not necessarily to have the skills, right? But they've had at least by the time we see them in high school, they've had we pray that they've had those. Right. Yeah. Like they've had at least K through nine, right? And you would hope that they would have phonics. So I think that's where we are struggling with, and I even sent some notes to you a while ago, um, where, you know, in 2008, nine ish, right. We had our, at least our state, but it was, I feel it was pretty nationwide. We had big recession and budget cuts. So we had to cut a lot of staff. So a lot of those opportunities to give that direct small group instruction disappeared because we just had to make cuts. And so well, in the high right in the high school we have read 180 and system mm-hmm. 44. Right. But is are most of those digital? No. It's both. It's a combo. She, it's a combo. They do it depends on their reading levels. Um they are exposed to both. They will test them on the computer. And so then it's did they score poorly because they were just like, click, 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 or did they truly not know, right? Like, are they struggling because they legitimately struggle or did they score poorly because they just on that day didn't test well or chose not to, but they are doing a lot of in-person, you know, hard copy, read book discussion. Like they're still having that. However, it's just one teacher and those class sizes are quite large. They're too big, right? They, they needs to be smaller, but again, we just don't right. They're supposed to be no more than twenty twenty one. I and would I know, encounter that that's too many. And years ago, when I taught, well, it is. I remember when I taught read one eighty many years ago. I was just wondering whether or not it had evolved into something else. That um, they had twenty four kids, and I was told to deal with it. And I said, well, I'll deal with it when you give me the materials and you give me the computers because I have nothing. So um, that kind of, you know, I became a squeaky wheel. And so I got what I wanted. What? Shocking. What? <laughs> <laughs> you were a squeaky wheel? No. So weird. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. Yeah. So here's another interesting thing. Well, and that and- is... Why are humans the only ones who can read and write and have developed languages across the board? 
um, one article that I was reading, they talked about how it was a fluke of nature that we are actually able to do such a thing and that our brain was able to reconfigure itself so that it understood symbols, had meanings and sounds. And so, um, and that's only for what, five millennia, I think is what it is. Something like that. So it's, it's, it's in a sense, a recent event. And it's taken a long time to get to where we are. And I was thinking with that comment from that article, does that mean that, because I brought up that, that idea that can, do we think that students will be able to adapt and adopt this format and their brains reconfigure themselves? Excuse me. And my, I'm wondering whether or not that is a palpable kind of thought if it took us this long to get to where we are is it really going to be able to change over the next generation well i would i think the answer to that is no right if it's taken this long to evolve to this point it's gonna i think it's gonna take quite some time to adjust to post-pandemic life and all the patterns that were established and the lack of reading that did not the lack of reading that didn't occur right across all levels it was super easy to just have be in class you can't see me air on the podcast right i'm air quoting i'm in class quink quink um but really i have just clicked a button and i'm over here doing whatever taking a nap i'm playing video games like philip was saying i'm mm -hmm. watching multi-screening yeah i'm you know doing i'm gaming i'm playing with my animals i'm doing everything but school right because that's what was there um i think it's going to take quite some many many years to recover from that event but this was pre-covid right i it think started pre-covid so i think we can talk about recovering from covid but and i think people are starting to use that as an excuse but I think we need to start from where we are and just build. I think it compounded things that were already in motion. I think it. I think it un unveiled mm -hmm. issues. Yeah, <laughs> unveiled Which, issues. Yeah, I was. Yeah. I've been thinking about that question you asked. And Christy's answering it, and I'm going. All I can say is I don't know. <laughs> And I thought I don't that's know. about the wisest <laughs> thing I can say right now is I really yeah, don't that, know. That's a good ending. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. And that's just, I don't, I don't know. know. We don't know. It's wow. So it would be yeah. interesting to see. I'd like to know what people are finding. And I want more students. I've noticed that our district is starting to take note of the fact that students need other formats for, say, credit recovery. <laughs> and that they need to be able to do yeah. and and the, just the entire equity of the just just the equity of it all and that it shouldn't all be on the computer and they shouldn't have to be staring at a screen for hours on end um and this is told and me. there are things about depression <laughs> there are things about the cortex and the thinning of the membrane mm -hmm. a lot of this has been around for a while right and and just how many parts of the brain are involved in the act of reading. It's a very inclusive thing, but it gets disrupted in the prefrontal cortex so that it can't involve everything as efficiently and, and as 
phenomenally well um, on the digital devices. So that's going to have an impact on learning, I think. Well, but and then you they, have then you put a teenage a teenage person trying to teach them things with it. Uh, right, with a developing brain that's not going <laughs> to gel until twenty four. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's an interesting task. Yeah, it is. I think I think it's a it's kind of a fun challenge, isn't it? Really, How, big challenge. It is. It is, and so it'd be kind of fun just to ask the kids to figure out. That would be a big classroom kind of thing, or maybe even a school thing. It's the digital versus printed challenge. Yeah. And how could they come up yeah. with an experiment that they could do with each other on it? Because they'd, they'd want to defy <laughs> the odds, right? I mean, it's a great way to harness in some rebellion there. Oh, yeah. Um, always, always appeal to their sense of rebellion. <laughs> mm -hmm. Christy. You could get your kids to do it. Let's do it. Okay. okay. So so we don't really have a solution, except because it's all right there. We have the facts. We have the data. And most of it, I don't think it's speculative, but I think it's an ongoing quest to try to figure this out and what's actually going to hit the kids. My other question and my last question is, if a student is hyperactive, if they already have... ADHD, which I had, but it was more mental, mm -hmm. even though I was zing, zang, zoom, um, but I wasn't as squirrely as probably Philip was. Um, reading was kind of my, it was my chill pill. But if a kid has all these distractions around them, it's sort of like feeding them sugar. Mm -hmm. So how do you then get them to chill so that they can actually do some of that that they need to do so they can have those cogent size um, and can they do it digitally what's how do we do that so I'm going to leave people with that question so it really is an interesting conundrum yeah so okay so until next week I would like to thank everybody for listening. Subscribe, give us a review, and shout us out to others. We appreciate everything that you've given us with your attention this week. And as always, adieu, adios, auf Wiedersehen, goodbye.